Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I have a very special guest I'm super excited to, to speak with today, Jody Daniels, who's the founder and CEO of Red Clover Advisors. She is basically my go-to for anything privacy related. If anybody asks me a question related to privacy, I point them in Jody's direction so that I do not misspeak. So Jody, thank you for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Well, I'm so excited to be here and reconnect. So great to see you. Awesome. Great to see you too. So let's, before we dive into privacy, because I'm sure we will chat about that 99% of the time, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into this world and this role in privacy. Absolutely. Well, I started my career as a financial statement auditor at Deloitte. And it's interesting to see how things have come full circle because I started caring about how companies dealt with finance and controls around their financial information. And now I care about personal data. Uh, But in between that, I left and I did a finance role at Home Depot and then strategy at Home Depot. And then I went to Cox Enterprises, which was big media company, really diving into marketing, media, publishing, advertising. And in that journey, they own autotrader.com, now part of Cox Auto. And it was there that I built a behaviorally targeted ad network. So I stalked you for cars before Facebook did. And then the online advertising industry came along and said, well, we should probably do something to self-regulate ourselves before the government did. And that's where I was responsible for helping us with that self-regulation. And it was the Digital Advertising Alliance, the little ad choices, anyone knows the little blue triangle that is there. That was my first entry point into privacy. I migrated to creating a privacy program for Cox Automotive. Then I left and went to Bank of America and was the uh, privacy lead for a variety of digital products. And uh, interestingly, some early AI at the time. And then I decided I was going to leave corporate and start my own agency and consulting company, really, to be able to help companies with this whole new era of data privacy laws that were coming into play. And now I am this massive full circle of paying attention to how personal data flows through a company, not financial data anymore, and helping companies make sure they're doing the right thing with it. Such an interesting evolution of your career path. I know. <laughs> it makes sense now, but not at all during the journey. It was a bunch of hops trying to make sense of each transition along the way and and building and trying to find who I wanted to. Yeah. And on the privacy side, did you just, were you drawn to that and it was something you were really interested in or was it just like, okay, we need someone to handle this. Jody, you're on the research for this. And that's kind of your first foray. It was, I can remember a media post article that IAB was requiring all of its members to comply with the new self-regulation. We were an IAB member. We wanted to do the right thing. My manager at the time, you know, was, here's this article. What is this? What do we need to be doing? And because I was really the main business person 
managing this whole ad network, I was then the right choice for figuring out what is this program. But I thought it was really interesting. And I dived deep into it and studied so much on what is this thing. And I just found it really fascinating. Made some friends in the industry, really continued to pay attention to it. And as I was looking for what the next step would be, that was a logical next step. I was seeing more and more the company. I mentioned I was at Otter Trader. They then acquired a bunch of other companies like Kelly Blue Book. Then they sort of merged into the parent company. And now there were a lot of different brands. And so with so much data flowing through the company, it was the right time for them to be paying attention to privacy. But I pitched them and, can, and said, you should start paying attention to privacy. And then they listened. And then we created this privacy program quite a while ago. We were one of the early people paying attention to it. And that is that is how I got there. Yeah. I wonder how many millions of dollars you have saved companies in lawsuits. From. <laughs> It'd be great if you could go back and track somehow. If only you could have that crystal ball of what could have been and calculate it's, that. <laughs> it's great that you said that, actually, because I, I just did a, a recording earlier today with one of our clients for a testimonial. One of the things uh, she said was how we have saved the company thousands of dollars, not so much probably from lawsuits, but just also from a misstep of uh, time in trying to yeah. figure it out. And then also the flip side to that is how we help companies earn revenue. Because I know we're going to dive a little bit into this, but one of my biggest beliefs and the, the area that I really love and find super passionate is yes, laws have fines because some companies won't pay attention to them unless there's a fine and you have to go and do the right thing. But at the same time, there are companies who will only work with other companies who mm. are doing the right thing and are complying with the law. And that to me is where there's an element of trust and the opportunity to flip privacy from a compliance activity to a sales helper. Yeah, that's so interesting. So as we dive into that part and the, the really bringing in revenue and opportunities, because that's probably, especially as you scale, if you scale towards enterprise clients, those are just necessities from their legal team to check boxes. What do you think is different between, for in the world of privacy, between B2B marketers and B2C? Like, this audience is primarily B2B marketers, I assume. <laughs> what do we need to be on top of right now versus what's really key for B2C marketers right now? Well, let's take the B2C part first. So on the B2C side, we're, you and I are consumers. We go to websites. And when we go and buy and are very excited to receive our good that we just had to have, we've given them our name, our contact information. We are getting more emails to buy more stuff, right? There's a a relationship of trust that's happening. And especially in an e-commerce situation, they're solely reliant on that type of marketing. If I go into a store, then there's going to be the connection between the store and the online environment. Lots and lots of marketing and personal information about me. And depending on what I'm buying, you're going to ask even more personal questions. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your sleep habits. Tell me about your health. Tell me about your finance right? A lot of really personal information. The more that you ask me, I'm only going to give you the right data if I trust you. And as also many of the laws are, they're all focused on consumers. Some of the laws include B2B and employees, but a majority of the ones in the United States are consumer focused. As you start to uh, go west to California, they're B2B and employees. 
And when we go overseas, they don't care who, it's everybody. On the B2B side, here we have a company as a stakeholder. The kind of data I'm asking about the company is going to be less invasive from an individual standpoint. I'm going to ask a lot of questions that the company might not want to share. How much revenue? How much employees? What's my big pain point? So still some really important data points, but it's not as much about the person. It's about the company. Again, with the exception of the few places that kind of still include the people that you're actually talking to. So we have a little bit of the balance that we have to strike. And then we have my favorite very official term, the gray zone, because the people you're talking to, many of them could be using personal devices. And when we're engaging in all the digital advertising and digital analytics, you're placing that on their personal devices. And depending on which companies you're using, now that personal information is making it through the ecosystem, even if you are acting in the context of a B2B environment. So I don't like when people just say, oh, that's a consumer-focused law. I don't have to pay attention to that. No, 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 because of this interesting kind of gray area. Yeah, so interesting, especially have you, how have recent laws on cookies and the elimination of cookies and but collection of zero and first-party data becoming so key versus third-party, has that changed a lot for B2B and B2C? when it comes to privacy? Absolutely. So both sides need to collect more information. And the premise of you need accurate information to make the right choices is true for both sides. On the consumer side, if you ask me too much information too early, I'm not going to answer. How many times does, if you're listening, do you pick, I prefer not to answer, or if you're forced to answer, you pick the wrong one. All of you have raised your hand because... That is human nature. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not sure yet. My favorite is the coffee shop example. I go, I pay. I didn't give you my email, but the payment system that you have automatically captured it from the last time. Mm-hmm. And then you've created a nurture sequence. And the first email is how we'd like to give you a free birthday coffee. I just had coffee with you. I'm not ready to give you my full birth date yet. I guess I could make one up, but now you have bad information. That's yeah. just one example. But on the B2B side, if you want to know employee count, revenue count, pain point, headquarters, uh, competition, again, I'm not going to give you accurate information until I know what's going to happen. I signed up for a webinar the other day and the phone number field was required. I don't want to give my phone number. I just want to sign up for the webinar. I'm not ready for you yet to call me. I know why you want the phone number. But let me first like have my first date and then we can kind of keep having our relationship building. Think about yeah. that first date scenario. How much do you share? I mean, maybe you're oversharing. Okay. Maybe that works for you, but it doesn't for lots of other people. And that yeah. same situation needs to be evaluated. So you get better data to make better decisions. Yeah. Cause I mean, you'll also exactly get, I always put one, 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 one for my phone number whenever it's asked. And sometimes it catches me. And then I sadly have to put one digit different from my phone number. And that poor person probably always gets text messages and phone calls for Jane. But yeah, you just, if it's too soon, you're going to give fake data, which bad data as a marketer is the bane of our existence. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And then imagine you go, you know, some companies have multiple systems. And if you go and enter that phone number this time, but you enter a different phone number next time, because you can't remember and it's required the second time, Now, potentially, it's captured 
two data points. Mm. And so how many times is everyone listening, trying to go through all the data? Well, which one's which? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're trying to clean up the data pool, it's a challenge. So true. And it's, it all goes back to trust. And when's the right time to ask the right set of questions? And it's about building the relationship over time. So true. And speaking of systems, I was mentioning before we hit record, we're currently migrating CRMs or at least instances at my company. And what are some of the things that we should keep in mind when exporting and re-importing all of the data, making sure we do the right thing? Well, the first part is going to be when you export it, where are you saving that file to? Are you saving it to a hard drive? Are you saving it to a shared drive? And then if you're saving, wherever you're saving it, let's say it's a shared drive, who else would have access to that drive and the kind of information that you're sharing? You might be able to make it just to your hard drive and immediately delete it. You might be able to put it to your heart to a shared drive, but does everyone need access to wherever you're saving it to? And you want to be thinking about who else really is going to need to be a part of that import process. And if you go with the philosophy of less is more... The least number of people who have access to it is going to be better. The least number of times you copy that file, it will be better. Let's take a scenario. You export it to your hard drive, then you email it to somebody else. Well, now it's on your hard drive and in the email system. Did you really need to have it both? Instead, a system might be, let's save it to a special folder we created on a shared drive. We only added the people who need access to it. And then we sent a message, hey, go grab the file. Don't also put the file in the shared messaging system. A link oh. is different than actually the shared file, but I we don't want to also have the file because again, you've just replicated. And every time you have a file, you're increasing the company risk. When you're done, import actually before you import, I think that's a wonderful opportunity to do some data hygiene. We just yes. talked about the need for, well, you could have two Jane phone numbers, two Janes, two Janeses, right? Thanks, Jane. You made it very complicated. But that's a great place to be able to do the data hygiene so that when you import into the new system, you have better data. That's just going to be good for you as a marketer. But from a privacy and security standpoint, that's better because in your new instance, you want the least number of records you need to have actually from a cost perspective, but really from a privacy and security perspective. Now you have to think about what do I do with the file that I no longer need? Mm-hmm. Once you have reached the, okay, the import worked, we're good, we're using it, delete the file. You don't need it anymore. Yes. So I feel like maybe I'm a team of one here in this mindset, but I am definitely a digital hoarder in that I just save all old PDFs and collateral and content, everything I just want saved. I never, ever delete that stuff. So it's a complete change in mindset that you have to delete this data because it has personal information. Completely agree, I do delete it, but I have to make that cognizant effort of shifting from my usual, keep it all, never delete anything mentality. Right. I and. There makes some sense to keep some of that old collateral. You want to see what it used to look like. Oh, right. We're going to do something. Let's go back and copy that phrase. That was really good. Yeah. From a personal information standpoint, how accurate do you think it is two years later? It's not. Mm. I mean, maybe a a few people. Okay. But overall, it's just not going to be as relevant. And again, each record is a security risk. And the idea is we, each individual has a role to be able to help and play to mitigate that risk. And that's a really easy one to be able to do. Yeah. Good reminders here. Cause I, 
I'm oddly excited for the data hygiene component of our, it's like a purge, right? Of our, our migration. It's like every time you move, if you move apartments or homes, you get rid of a ton of stuff, you donate it. In this case, we don't donate, we'll delete, but <laughs> you just get to get rid of everything and it's this weight lifted, right? You have a cleaner data set. I'm really excited for to get to that other side of the clean data. I love data. it when I clean and organize. It makes me feel right? so happy. Yeah, it is. It's like a, a weight lifted for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you see? And thank you for that advice. That's really great in migration to keep in mind. I'm sure there's others listening who are going through or are soon to go through migrations of some kind. So good reminders. What do you see most marketers? And we can stick to B2B or if there's a really juicy B2C one you want to share. What do you see people doing wrong when you first go in with clients that are just like a red flag right away? First thing you need to change. There's a couple that come to mind right away. The first is actually going to be in the land of cookies and cookie banners that all cookies are not created equal, cookie banners are not created equal. And you have to really understand where your audience is and the laws that are in scope for you and then what kind of cookies you have. Once you get all that properly set up, because I see it improperly set up all the time, then the mistake is a set and forget. I did it, I'm done, I did that cookie thing. But most marketers are continuously doing new and cool things and they might put on some type of new tag on the site or they're putting something on and another one sneaked in and they haven't scanned the site again to kind of keep removing. I was talking with a client earlier this morning and they were so excited. They cleaned up some old cookies that they had no idea because it's been so long. That's the idea, right? We want to be able to make sure that what is here is accurate and you have to come up with some kind of cookie program. However often that is, is dependent on however often you do new and cool things. For some, Mm. that could be once a month because it's really active. For others, it could be maybe once every quarter or every six months. I guess if you're really not doing anything new and crazy, once a year might be enough, but it can't be said and forget. The other really important one is the privacy notice. You know, a lot of smaller companies might try and use a privacy notice generator. And the reason that if you just use the generator and then don't customize it, you're really missing because the whole point is one, to explain what you're doing on your site, which is not necessarily, the generator didn't remember everything about what your site is doing. And Mm. the other is this is your opportunity to communicate with your customers. If people are curious with what's happening, they're going to go to the privacy notice. We write custom privacy notices all the time. We really encourage people to make sure that if you're going to use any kind of template or, a, or, or create a custom one, then it matches what you're doing. So this is one of those other, it can't be set and forget. Hmm. Maybe you weren't doing precise geolocation before, so you didn't include it. Now you are. Maybe you weren't doing text messaging before. Now you are. Maybe you weren't doing joint partner webinars. Now you are. There's a long list of things that happen all the time that don't make sense to include when you're not doing them, Mm. but you do want to evaluate before you hit live. And I recommend not the day before, but a few days before include the the privacy team in the marketing strategy, or at least once you kind of have finalized that strategy, because then you have enough time to be able to manage everything. Fun fact, You have to review the privacy notice, according to California, at least once a year. They require that at least once a year. You should probably do it more often if, again, you're doing new and cool, exciting marketing things all the time. 
So just make sure that they're in sync with each other. Do they, so California privacy laws, two questions. One, does it matter if you are headquartered in California or not, or just if your audience can come from California, your traffic? Wonderful question. I'm going to say the modern privacy laws are focused where the individual is, not where the company is. So you could be in Tahiti drinking your fruity drinks and your Mm -hmm. customers are in California in France. Congratulations. You have to deal with the California law and GDPR and you're hanging on in Tahiti. Wow. So interesting. So (laughs) I wish I was there right now. (laughs) Second part of that question is if you have to review at least once a year, do the lawmakers, for lack of a better term, do they have some kind of a technology to identify if you have not edited within the past year? They don't. That They're looking for... So it's incumbent on the company to say, here's what we're doing on our site. Yeah. And here's, here's what we're collecting. Here's what we're using. Here's what you're sharing. If you didn't update that, first off, there's an effective date that you need to have on your privacy notice. I suppose... Someone could, e- a regulator could easily come and see that you haven't updated your privacy policy in 18 months or two years. That's, and a customer can too. A customer is coming to the site, especially in a B2B environment and looking at how are they doing their own privacy? Because if they're not doing that well, they're not going to take mine seriously either. That's mm. really externally facing. At a minimum, like everyone's changing something in their company. Many do it on a January 1st because it's just, start of the year, but you don't have to just pick a time that's good for you in the 12 months, make a tickler and say, Oh, we have to update that because it's yeah. so externally facing anyone can see it, but it's supposed to mirror whatever is actually happening for your company on your site. Yeah. Really good reminder. Or, or application, but right. Your product. And when it comes to, I'm, I'm skipping around a little bit here, but we talked about how having certain how customers, when you're, you're in the selling and marketing space and you might lose out on business because you're not compliant in some way, shape or form, or you, you're not leveraging the best privacy practices for your company and how you handle data. I know on the security front, we were talking beforehand about SOC 2. Can you dive into a little bit about that and um, the privacy side of things as well? SOC 2 is very security focused. It's a stringent process companies go through. And once you're there, you get your beautiful stamp of approval and companies put that on the site. Why? Because then when their future customers are coming, they see, oh, look, we take security seriously. Look at at what we have. We've gone through a certification process. Well, on the privacy side, we don't quite have the same certifications yet. The places, though, that those pieces blend together is one, the privacy notice. Do you have a decent privacy notice? I can go to your site and tell you today it was run by a generator, or it hasn't been updated in a while, or you're missing some really core areas. The other, though, is trust centers that you're seeing pop up more. From a marketing perspective, we're seeing preference centers. We're seeing privacy and security. For a lot of the tech companies, we're seeing the data protection addendums the DPA is the the name it often comes along with the contract. And those are already on the site. Go and pick your favorite large tech vendor. You'll see them. You can look at Salesforce, Dropbox, Google, just as an example. They're all on the site. They're also answering questions. Oh, here's what we're doing for the California law. Here's what we're doing for GDPR. Here's what our principles are. I've seen some that have FAQs that are there. And all of that is meant to answer any of the privacy or security 
concerns and potential objections that your potential customers could have right there. You're answering it sort of pre-process, just like you likely are for all the features. Here's why our product and service is amazing. Look at all of our wonderful features. Mm-hmm. Well, now you want to promote the security ones, which is what SOC 2 does. The same is true if you have something called ISO 27001. That's a security yeah. one. You're starting to see ISO 27701, which is privacy. Really larger companies or with companies with significant numbers of enterprise customers are starting to move towards those. And on the privacy side, you're kind of still seeing all these other elements. Where's Where can I go for all the privacy information in one fell swoop? And the more you can answer up front, the better and more smooth your sales process will go. Yeah, there's so much education that's needed internally on this. I wonder, I know, I think I read on your newsletter, Jody, that there was a new new law that was put into effect. It was in Texas this week and there was another one last week. It seems like more and more states are, are honing in on this similar to California. Can you... Tell us a little bit about that and what passed. And even if they're consumer focused, which I imagine they are, how does that impact B2B where if, for instance, just do know our target market is is B2C, it's retail, D2C, a lot of D2C companies. So we're handling their data in some aspects. So we need to understand this component and they're probably going to ask us the same about it. So curious how that can impact us in B2B. Right now, California was the first state in the U.S. to pass privacy legislation at a comprehensive state level, and they include B2C, B2B, and employees. Then the other states that we have are Virginia, Colorado, and Connecticut, and then Utah. All of those will be effective by the end of 2023. Utah wow. is going to be the last one in December. Everybody else will be effective by July 1st, 2023. Those other laws are consumer-focused, And then from a state perspective, in the legislative season of 2023, five new states, including Texas, passed privacy legislation. So it took us several years to get to five. And then this year, we got five more, which means we're at 20% of the states with privacy laws. Now, those new states are continuing on the consumer-focused side, not the B2B and employee side. What the future will hold in other states, not sure. Some of them will include B2B, some of them will include employees because different other privacy laws do include B2B or employees. It just kind of depends. So we're gonna still see the patchwork approach. What I see all the time is two interesting areas. One, which is if I'm using a personal device and I'm doing some type of digital advertising or analytics, I have all that tracking information now on an individual personal device which makes its way through the ecosystem, even if I was acting in the context of an employee. Many of the companies that are in the B2B space, typically, especially from the digital standpoint, treat everybody the same. And they're not only doing it for our California or EU friends. Mm -hmm. The second is a company just like yours absolutely is going to get pressure from their customers, right? Your customers who say, well, we have everybody and I need you to make sure that you help ensure we're in compliance. What could that look like? That could mean if you have a software product and Jody from Virginia comes to your ultimate customer and says, well, I want to exercise an individual right, your customer is going to say, oh, well, you got to help me support Jody from Virginia over here. And you'll see that if I give you a pile of data, many companies are not going to say, I'm just going to handle it for California over here. So you're going to have to handle it for everybody. 
I want all of these protections. I want you to not use the data for any other way. And I see more and more companies put that pressure on their entire ecosystem, regardless of how small you are. So if you're a small startup listening and you think I'm too small, (laughs) guess what? You're competing probably with someone who isn't. And if you want that sale, that larger company is going to say, you have to help make sure that we can comply with these laws, which in turn kind of makes you have to understand them all. Yeah. So even if we if smaller companies can't afford these big legal teams like the larger one, you still have to get your your shit together and you make have, sure you have and yeah. and honestly when I when I left corporate, that's part of why I started Red Clover was to be able to work with companies of all sizes, especially the companies who don't have or need a full-time privacy team. Or maybe yeah. you have a little bit of full-time, but you still need that extra support. So privacy is now becoming a cost to do business, just like every other part of the business. And here, what I've seen happen is it can literally cost you business if you Mm -hmm. don't get it right. Yep. So true. Especially as you scale and work with more enterprise companies. So to attract those and they're actually checking that it's part of their, their list. And when they're evaluating partners, especially in the SaaS world, but also in the services side. So both really. There's exactly tons to get together. Exactly. So interesting. Have you seen, I think you may have touched on this, but I'd love to see the AI component of things. Cause to me, there's probably so many different areas, but I see two right away. Like one, you talked about these, um, these privacy, what was it? Uh, the, 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 the privacy notice generators is there on the AI side. I wonder if there's a tool that can customize it to your, like if you, you give it, feed it all of your information and your website and all of the, the things you do and it gets to know you, right? I wonder if there's something that could generate a privacy notice that was customized to you. And then on the flip side, how is AI bringing in more and more privacy issues and things for people to overcome? Well, on the first side, I think like many other in compliance and legal spaces, schools will be there to help and guide you still want someone with a privacy knowledge to be able to really ask all the questions inside a company. What are you really doing? What about this scenario over here? Because a tool can't always predict all the scenarios. Mm -hmm. And I really do want to be the hopeful person here that AI is not going to surpass human intelligence. And (laughs) you're going to want some type of human to help with the expertise on that. On the privacy risks though, for using AI, a couple. The first is going to be, are you going to share personal information in the tool? And many of the companies that we're working with will, right now the policy is no, we're not going to put personal information in the tool for a couple of reasons. One, what is the tool going to do with that information? Do you have your own little private vault or are they going to use it for themselves? What do your contracts say? Your contracts might not let you share that information, especially if the other side is going to use the information on their own. Mm-hmm. What will... What is sort of the point of sharing the data? Like, what are you trying to do and manipulate? Depending on what that looks like, you have to think about what the model is going to do. And do you have any bias? Do you have any discrimination? Is it how wrong is it going to be? So you kind of have to factor all of those pieces in. What we recommend is for people to, to have a policy, to start building and thinking about this kind of data is okay to go in. This kind of data is not okay to go in. We won't put client data in unless we have approval. We won't put any client data in or think about the kind of data you would put in. It's okay to put these three fields, but not these other three fields. 
It's okay to use this tool, but not these tools. Having a thoughtful approach is going to be really critical. There's all kinds of stories where this went wrong. People put in code at Samsung. Now it's everywhere. Last week, there was a really interesting story about a lawyer who submitted and it was six false cases. That's not really going to be helpful. And from a non-personal data perspective, but because we have marketers here, you have to also think about the copyright and IP issues Mm. of what you're sharing and what you're getting back and being able to use. There's certainly a place for the technology. Like all technology, it really should have some rules and parameters in place. Regulation might come first in the EU, maybe in California. New York City has some regulation in place for employees and regulations always slow to catch up. It's going to need to be companies who don't want to have a misstep and kind of imagine a misstep and it gets out with your customers. That's a really big misstep. How do you avoid missteps? We're thoughtful, we're planning, we're creating policies, we're thinking of the risks, and we're trying to be able to use the technology in a way that helps us without hurting us. Makes a lot of sense. And how do you see, with AI, I'm sure being one of them, what do you see changing or coming up next in the next three to five years in privacy that we need to be aware of? Because it seems like things are moving super fast now from five over a few years, new states coming in to five just this year alone. It is on a hockey stick. I think you'll definitely start to see all the states begin to pass laws. Exactly how many years? I don't know. Well, we're on a hockey stick. It's going to kind of keep going. And people always ask, is there a federal law? Federal laws have been introduced every year for over a decade. It's a very political play with a couple very big sticking points. If a federal law comes, maybe one of those sticking points is will it be a floor or a ceiling? Meaning, can a state override that federal law? I don't know. That's why it's kind of, I always say it's like a crystal, crystal dark. Who knows what will happen? But I know that we're going to have more of those laws you will have more vendors and customers keep pushing down their requirements. So on the sales side, especially in the B2B space, this is going to be a requirement. And especially I'm seeing it more and more, for example, if you're a company that markets globally, our friends in the EU care very much about their individuals who might be part of your marketing programs. And so you wanna make sure that you're thinking about that in place. And then the AI revolution is happening at lightning speed and the intersection of privacy and AI is very much here and very much here to stay. And I don't think any of us would have predicted the way the last six months have gone. So it's really hard to figure out where it's going. Personally, as a human, I kind of hope it slows down a little bit and that companies and all the, everyone listening is a human and both a consumer and trying to help their business. And I all hope that we think about that as individuals. What is it we're trying to achieve? And think about it from the human standpoint, because at the end of the day, humans are the ones still making decisions. I guess maybe one day it'll be AI making decisions. I don't know. I kind of hope not. I really sort of hope that it's the humans making the decisions, right? Of like the buying decision. I want to buy your software. I want to buy your product. I want to buy your thing. It's the human at the other end. How are you going to create that relationship? AI should just be the facilitator in the middle of that. But what I would say is if you haven't built a hardy privacy program or you just got started or you said you did that two years ago, now is a really great time to reevaluate and get it up to speed so that as new laws pass, you only have to look at the nuance and the differences as opposed to starting like all over again with every new law. 
Yeah. I mean, get started now. Well, speaking of getting started for listeners here, I'm sure uh, there's probably a handful that are like, oh crap, I need to get a handle on this at my company. I have lots of questions to go ask our, our team over here, or they are the founders, right? And they're like, oh, we need to get these together. Or there's probably another group that's just like, this is fascinating. I wonder how we're handling X, Y, Z, and are just kind of curious after this conversation. If there's one thing that both of these groups could go and do today and go look into, what's the number one most impactful thing that a B2B marketer listening could, could do today? It would be understanding the data you have and where you have it. When we ask this question, people don't have the answer. And every part of a privacy program relies on that answer. If you were to go and run to your legal team or you know, anyone responsible for privacy, their very first question is going to be, what data do you have and how do you use it and how do you share it? And if you don't know that answer, that's going to be the first step that they're going to ask you to do. Great point. And again, just that reminder, right? Of if you're sharing any kind of export that has personal data, delete, <laughs> right? If you share it, think about how you're sharing it and delete. I'm curious if somebody ever emails file that has personal data inside their company, let's say Gmail, for instance, do what do they do? Should they delete the file and then also delete the email on both ends? Or is there anything to do there? Or is it protected because it's in the same ecosystem in Gmail? I mean, it's in the email. And so there are likely security measures. I would delete the email as well, because let's just play this out. Worst case scenario. I'm a bad actor. I get into your email. I now have an easier chance of getting that file. Now, it still could be sitting on a server. It might not get deleted until whenever the server gets deleted, but you've at least lowered your risk. And that's the idea that we're trying to go after. Love it. Okay. I'm going to get more friendly with my delete buttons. <laughs> it can be friendly. <laughs> Thank you, Jody. And let's see, we talked about what's happening. Ooh, I'm curious about, I, I often ask guests on the show what their favorite MarTech tools are, but I'm curious if you have any tools, MarTech or not, that are things you recommend for your clients to use or to not use the flip side, any favorites or things to avoid? I think on the, it's kind of a tip. So there's so many new startups all day long who are promising to solve your problem. I mean, there's what, 5,000 companies in the MarTech, 5,000 stack, right? That's a lot of companies. And many of these companies don't pay attention to privacy. They just don't. And some of the really easy ways that you can tell, is this a company I want to put my client data in? What is their privacy notice? What are their answers for just some basics? Hey, how do you protect this information? If you can't find any, like a decent privacy notice on their website, if they can't answer your questions, that's probably not a good company to go with. And you should look for a more advanced company that is going to take this a bit more seriously. And from a favorite tools perspective, I mean, I'm a HubSpot user for our company and I'm, I'm really enjoying HubSpot. And for anyone who does not still use a calendar tool, I, I can't tell you how many companies still don't use calendar tools. You should really pick your favorite calendar tool, uh, but not yes. require me to answer a whole bunch of questions in that calendar tool Make that I wouldn't want to oh, get yes. company title, company name. That makes some sense. Company revenue, that would be helpful, but it doesn't have to be required. Agreed. Optional. That's also a marketing Optional. CRO tip, right? Yes. <laughs> Higher conversion yes. rate if you make fewer fields required. <laughs> yes. I guess I have one more that I probably don't like. And I think I'm not going to call them out by name, but I think there are some very basic cookie tools 
that are connected to some of the website companies or kind of website ecosystems that you can get in their marketplaces yeah. that are not super good. I would recommend you going shopping for a cookie tool where it's a heart. That's what they do. That is really their business. It's not just a random plugin that they've created to put in a marketplace and hope it works. Interesting. If anyone's curious what I'm talking about, you can definitely reach out and I'll give you more information. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to ask afterwards. <laughs> I know there are some platforms that have like a built-in default and I can recognize it on every site when I go to it. It looks exactly yes. the same. <laughs> yep. yep. HubSpot is actually one of those. There, I can yeah. recognize it all the time and I can be like, oh, yeah, you have that one. but there's a very distinct look. Speaking of, there's some that are like, there's a bunch of WordPress plugins and there's a bunch of Shopify plugins and there's a bunch of other plugins in some of those ecosystems and they're, they're not good. Yeah. Interesting. If you have this top of mind, is there any company outside of your own? Cause I'm sure you do this best. Any type of company in any space that you just see taking privacy laws and rules and just the regulations doing everything right. Like a good example to follow. Hard to probably find like a perfect example. Privacy is hard. It really is. And it is changing. And if you have a, yeah. depending on where your audience is and, and the kind of data you have, it really is, I think, just pretty darn challenging. From an organization who I think is putting information out there really nicely, I at a large company scale is a good example Salesforce. I like mm. their privacy ecosystem. I think they do a nice job with that. Company like HubSpot, I think they're doing a pretty decent job too. They have that cookie banner plugin. They have a lot of information on various settings that they can do. I have some, anyone work at HubSpot? I have some updates that I think they should make, but I do think that they're doing a good, a good job with the settings and the information and trying to comply with themselves and help their customers comply. So I would use those two as okay. potential examples. Always good to have a, an example, right? Somebody to, or something to strive towards and to see what they're doing and emulate. So very cool. Yeah, another one from just a visual representation that I think marketers would love, right? We're very visual people. Yeah. It's actually Microsoft because mm. some might question the kind of data. We're not going to go there. But from how they communicate, it's a very beautiful, clear experience. They have so much that you end up being hyperlinked all over the place. That's sort of a different scenario. But they have big boxes that talk about their different topics related to privacy. And I think that's really where we need to get to as opposed to just our long, boring notices. It needs to be a better visual experience. Hmm. So they that's would be my visual uh, preference going to take a look. I'm curious real quick, why does Google come to mind in a positive light or a negative light for how they're handling everything on the privacy side? Well, they're in trouble all the time, as is Microsoft <laughs> and all the other big players. But yeah. the challenge I have with Google is you're sent all over the place. Everything is all hyperlinked within each other. And you, it's very challenging to try and get back to where you are. And so for those reasons, I don't think they're the best example because I, yeah. I do think it's a little confusing. Yeah, probably intentionally. So <laughs> that I don't know. Uh, they yeah. have a lot of information and a lot of products. So I can't speak to that, but I just, I find like I'm all over the place. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jody. If you have one last sign off for you, if you have a book or a podcast that you're really into right now that you'd like to share with us, please do so. 
Sure. So I could, because if you love privacy, I might plug my own, which is uh, building trust one uh, data reimagined, building trust one bite at a time. If you like the privacy side. Love it. But something I think that everyone can enjoy. And my husband really listens to this a ton. And so it's like through osmosis. And I've also read the book, which is never split the difference by Chris Voss. There's the book is great. And then there's a podcast to go with it from the black swan group. And he is addicted to it. So it's like, I literally can just go to him and get the 32nd version or just listen to the episodes that I really want to on how to negotiate, how to communicate better, how to close deals better. So if you think about if you're on the sales side, potentially, or you're trying to negotiate with a new vendor or an agency, these might be some tools that will help you or even negotiate internally with your partners on how to get something done. Like maybe you need something from someone and they haven't done it in three weeks. How might you communicate that? Amazing. I'll link to to both of these in the show notes to your podcast and this one. I'm going to check both out myself. Thank you so much, Jody, for joining us today. I so appreciate it. And you shared so much knowledge. I have a ton of notes to, to go look on and check myself. So appreciate you so much for your time. My pleasure. So glad to be here and talk about privacy. <laughs> Thank you. And where can everybody find you if they want to reach out or they have questions and want to chat more? I am super active on LinkedIn. So please come and connect with me there. Um, and then our website's just redcloveradvisors.com. And a ton of all kinds of information that you can find there. Love it. Highly recommend everyone sign up for Jody's newsletter too on LinkedIn. You'll see it when you search her on LinkedIn. Really valuable weekly newsletter. So thank you everybody for, for tuning in. Appreciate you. Please like, review the show. It helps us get in front of more eyeballs, get more listeners. So thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you all. 